take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. So as you're turning there, just, uh, just as a reminder, about last week we turned our attention for the first time to this second section of the book of Romans, chapters 9 through 11. Uh, there's no small amount of controversy to these words. We will get into those when time comes. Uh, but uh, this morning, we're kind of continuing with, with what we looked at last Sunday and doing just a, a bit of a of a sidestep. I call it like a loop road, right? Drive around the country, you see loop roads, right? Road that takes you, you start here and it's going to take you and put you back out on the road a little further down. So we'll, we'll get back in uh, to Romans 9 through 11. Uh, I, I will not shy away as Paul again is going to address the issue of election, predestination, yet also man's responsibility. So uh, we'll, we'll wade our way through uh, that again. But this morning, I, I again want to turn to the first five verses before Paul really gets into this uh, defense of the gospel. He gives us a bit, a bit of his own heart. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, for Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom according to the flesh Christ came." who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. One of the most impactful statements on the importance of evangelism that I have ever heard comes to us from an atheist. In fact, it's a quote I have used on more than one occasion, but I find the words so convicting and, frankly, profound, that I I think it is helpful to uh, note them again today. These words come to us from a magician by the name of Penn Gillette. Some of you may recognize the name. He is the front man of the duo Penn and Teller. He's got shows in Vegas. They've had shows on TV, uh, a lot of online outlets where you could see them perform uh, their various feats of magic. Penn Jillette, along with being a magician, is an outspoken atheist. One time after a show, a man approached him with a Bible. Uh, the, the man was kind and compassionate, and, and Penn Jillette has, has uh, retold this story on more than one occasion, where the gentleman was, was very... Uh, respectful and gracious to Gillette, knowing that he's an atheist, yet at the same time telling him, I I care about you, I care about your soul, and gave him a Bible. Now, believe it or not, Penn Gillette, though an atheist, was quite receptive to this move. 
In fact, he has expressed his gratitude for the kindness of the man, that the man would go to that extent, knowing he was confronting somebody who is antagonistic to his own point of view, and rather than kind of get snippy and snarky, Gillette expressed, again, sincere gratitude. Here's what he said. I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize, meaning evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? These aren't the words of Billy Graham. These aren't the words of John MacArthur or Charles Stanley. These are not the words of some profound preacher or great missionary. These are the words of an atheist, and I don't know about you, but I find them very convicting. I find his words straight to the point. How do we get out of that? I mean, in all honesty, how how do we weasel our way out of what those words are suggesting? I mean, could it be that an atheist has indeed pinpointed what might be a glaring problem for believers all across this country? What might be a glaring problem even for ourselves at times. This morning, we take a look again at Paul's words in Romans 9, 1 through 5. That they were words we reflected on last week. And again, looking at the overall sense of what's going on in chapters 9 through 11, I think Paul moves from 1 through 8, proclaiming the gospel, to 9 through 11, defending the gospel. And, and it, it is, I think, a helpful section in the book of Romans. I think a lot of people miss a lot because they skip them. And some people do. Some people jump from chapter 8 to chapter 12. Because again, there's some hard stuff in these chapters. But yet these chapters, I think, are central to what Paul has been arguing throughout the entirety of the book. And really what I think they do for us is they help us hone in on, zero in on, focus in on the, the expectation that God's people would defend and declare the gospel. So as, as Paul clarifies, further defends the gospel, especially in light of Israel's rebellion, I, I, th- I think he gives us really helpful instruction about how we can prepare ourselves to better defend and declare the gospel. And so last week we looked at the first of what are five basic ideas that Paul works his way through here. And, and number one was this. Before he really gets into the heart and soul of his argument, before Paul addresses these tricky doctrines like predestination and election and human responsibility, his first five verses really lay out for us a profound compassion for unbelievers. I think when you read the words that we just read, verses 1 through 5, you really see at least a a major part of the heart and soul of Paul's own evangelistic, 
missionary zeal. Paul has a a deep and abiding compassion for lost people. So much so for his own countrymen that he says, I wish it would be possible for me to be a substitute. I wish I could be set apart for destruction by God. That's what he means when he says, I wish that I could be accursed from Christ for the sake of my my countrymen, my fellow Jews. It's really quite the attitude. I mean, when when I read those words, I have to stop and think and read those words in light of that quote that we just read. I really have to ask myself, so what is the level of my own compassion for those who do not know Christ as Savior? Oh, I know on an intellectual level we'll say, yeah, we love them. But really at this point we've got to ask ourselves, is our theology, is our understanding of these things, of the gospel and lost people and our mandate, is is this really motivating our action? And if not, Does that really say something then about how tightly we hold to our theology? Do we really believe what we say? So again, last Sunday, we took time, we walked through these first five verses, noting Paul's attitude, noting Israel's uh, position before God. Part of this burden on Paul is the fact that Israel had such an advantage. They were recipients of of God's unique love, and, and you want to talk about election, look at that in context of Israel. Wow, that was absolutely just God's choice, His gracious choice of them. And, and he, he promises His presence to them. He gives them the law. Uh, he, he gives them like the tabernacle and the temple so that they would know that God lived among them. This is what He means in those Verses 3 through 5, talking about the glory and the promises and the covenant. And then on top of that, they, they were sons and daughters of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. By the way, were also the fathers of Jesus. The, the Jews share then a, f- a family relationship with the Savior Himself. Now this morning, here's what I want to do. We're, again, we're going we're gonna to take a bit of a, of a jog away from uh, some of, well, certainly away from the next text in, in Romans 9, because I want to ask a question, and maybe try and help us out here this morning. How can we develop compassion for the lost? I mean, if, 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 we've, if we've been locked in here last week and again this morning, and, and, and we see these verses in 1 through 5, and and, and we recognize, yes, okay, I need to have compassion for the lost. But i, I got to tell you, preacher, uh, a lot of the lost people I see, they can, man, they can be really aggravating. All right, so can, can, I, can I do this? Can I develop genuine compassion for the lost? Now, aside from making it just a matter of personal prayer, Lord, help me love unbelievers, yes, I think there are steps that we can take. So if you want to fill in little blanks, here we go. I gave you this outline last week. I mean, it was already in the notes last week, but this week there are blanks. All right, so last week there weren't, but this week there are, and you're going to have to fill in then the little blanks if you want it again. So what, what can be some action steps we can take that would help us develop compassion for the lost? Number one, 
know and trust the gospel. That's deep, right? I know what you're thinking. Come on. Pastor, I thought you were going to give me something solid, something tangible. What's the deal here? Know and trust the gospel. All right. Done and done. Got it. I know the gospel. I trust the gospel. Do you? Do you? Do you really know and trust the gospel? Because I I would suggest that perhaps there is a disconnect for a lot of us, and I say us, meaning me as well, that there could be a disconnect here. That on the one hand, yes, we would defend the gospel, we believe the gospel, you amen when I preach the gospel, but but do, do I really know it, and then do I trust that this in fact is what the Bible says it is? Let's get more specific about this. When I say no one trusts the, the gospel, here's what we're saying. Again, when, when Paul says in these verses, you know, I wish that I could be accursed from Christ, that has wrapped up in it all the stuff he has said in the first eight chapters. Don't worry, we're not going to review the first eight chapters, all right? But here's what he's, here's what he's getting at. Here's what, here's what I think motivates Paul here in his evangelistic and missionary zeal. He absolutely believes the gospel. Not just for himself, but he believes that anybody who wants to see God after they die, let me rephrase that, wants to see God without hearing God's words of judgment and condemnation, after they die, have to know Jesus as Savior. In other words, he really does believe, and this this, I think, sets the foundation for our own evangelism. To really believe that men and women are dead in their trespasses and sin. That their sin condition is so complete, is so devastating and destructive, that there is nothing they can do to get out of it by themselves. The pit is so deep. The problem so severe That there's no way they can climb out. There's no way they can reason their way out of this thing. The gospel begins with what is man's deplorable condition to do anything about his own sin. Yet at the same time, God in His goodness has done something. God in Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection, has made it possible that those who are enemies can now be friends. Those who are in darkness can now be in light. Those who are children of wrath can now be children of eternal life. Those who would have known God's judgment now know God's eternal, unfailing, unshakable, unbreakable love, like we looked at at the end of Romans chapter 8. And that this is possible, and only possible, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, It only happens through the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So that in order for me to go from a child of disobedience to a son of God, I've got to confess I'm a sinner unable to save myself and place my faith in Christ and Christ alone. Christ crucified and resurrected in order to be saved. Again, you hear that and you say, Pastor, I've heard this. We've heard this before. I understand. Yes, hopefully you have. Hopefully we've all heard this before. We're all familiar with the gospel. But do I really know it? Do I really believe it? I don't mean for salvation. I mean, do I, really, do I really think that this is the only way for someone to be made right with God? 
That's why I put these two words together. Do I know and trust the gospel? Not just unto salvation, but do I know and trust that when God's word says, those who die without Christ will be eternally condemned. Do I really believe that? I think, I think this is what Penn Gillette is getting at. How much do I have to hate somebody to believe the gospel and yet not tell them about it? How else do I define that? I mean, if I'm going to have compassion, I need, I need to really, again, I need to settle in my heart and mind, yes, this is the most important message in the world. Do I really believe that? Do we really believe the gospel is the most important message in the world? I don't care what you saw on the news today. I don't care what politicians are telling you. I don't care what what I may say about my own politics, your politics, what's going on in society, what's going on in the culture. None of that is nearly as important. The most important message in all of the world for every human being, all seven billion people, the most important message is Christ crucified and resurrected. Do we really believe that? Do I really believe that if they don't know that, then indeed they, rather than Paul, will be accursed, set apart unto destruction. I think we could illustrate this. I'm about to give you a terrible illustration, all right? Isn't that great? I know what some of you are thinking. Well, maybe you shouldn't say it, right? Okay, but I'm going to do it anyway. Is anybody going to stop me? Probably not. Okay, so yes, I'm going to do it anyway. Here, here's how I would illustrate it. It's like somebody trying to sell a product. Now, it's not, okay? In other words, the, the gospel's not a product. We're not salesmen. There are some preachers out there who are salesmen, and they are trying to sell the gospel, all right? So we're not that. We're just using this for the intellectual consideration of how these things are the same. I mean, what is the key to a good salesperson? What's the key to an advertiser? Really, what's the key to persuasion at all? That you really believe your message and you are convinced that other people will be better off if they buy what you're selling, right? I know none of us want to admit it, but we've all done it. We've all watched an infomercial before, right? You've gotten through 30 minutes of something and you thought, why did I just waste my time? But suddenly, you're buying a set of knives that can cut through a can, right? That's what's happening. Which, by the way, I do a lot of cooking. There's never a recipe that says, now take a knife and cut through the can, all right? That's not one of them, but I see this knife and think, wow, yes, how can I survive without it? I see a nine iron that can be a porta potty. And I think, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That's a real thing. All right. I said, yeah, that's a great idea. How can I live without this? How can I live without the vacuum cleaner? How can I, you know, the infomercial, which by the way, is a $250 billion generator of revenue. $250 billion. So they're really good at what they do. And what are they doing? They're convincing you. They absolutely believe in their product, and you will be better off with it. You know what's sad? 
What's sad is the dude who sells sham wow is a lot more excited about his product than a lot of believers with the gospel. What's sad is the lady who sells the thing that can only cook eggs, all right, is a lot more excited about her product. And people who believe that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity in hell. We should probably reflect on that for just a moment, right? And this can even get a little bit more personal. Let's think about our own politics, cultural, sociological ideals, our own hobbies. Do we get more passionate about that stuff than the gospel? Because I guarantee you, you really believe in your political views. Because let one person try and challenge them and what happens? It's on, right? Especially if it's Facebook, right? Come on, get the gloves on, get the tippy-tappy typing going, all right? We're going to do this thing. But you got somebody in front of you who's a lost person. If they were to die today, they'd spend eternity separated from Christ. Oh, I don't want to be socially awkward here. I, there's no reason to cause conflict, right? Right. So do, do I really know and trust the gospel? That's the question. Do I really know and trust the gospel? Number two, understand the nature of being lost. Understand the nature of being lost. I think part, one way we can develop compassion for lost people, not only just really recognizing, yes, our message is the most important message, and they desperately need it, but I, I need to recognize the desperate condition that they're in. I need to appreciate the fact that because they are dead in their trespasses and sin, there is nothing they can do about their condition. Now, don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying they don't willfully, willingly indulge in sin. I just mean, when you read what the Bible says about being unsaved, it's pretty devastating. Take your Bibles, flip back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Chapters 1 through 3 really is Paul laying out his case against humanity by the Jew or Gentile. And he wraps it up here by stringing together some Old Testament quotations. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Why don't you just tattoo that on your brain the next time you hear somebody say, people are basically good people. Both of these can't be right. 
right? People can't basically be good people and Romans 3 still be right. These are mutually exclusive. Only one of them can be right. (laughs) And so it's either God who wrote the book, right? It's either God or it's the culture. Now, again, here's here's why this is such a big deal. Because this gets to the very essence of what is man's problem. Man's problem. And the Bible describes it in various ways. I've already mentioned some of them. Child of wrath, son of disobedience, in the darkness, ignorant, foolish, unwise, lover of the flesh, whose mind lusts after sin, uh, loves their sin. These are all phrases that are used to describe lost people. And here's why I think this is critical. When you and I as believers in Jesus Christ who've had our eyes opened to the gospel by nothing other than God and His Spirit and His gracious favor, we should view the lost world through the lens of their lostness rather than through just the lens of the sins they commit that offend us. I need to see them like lost people. I need to understand the desperate condition that they're in. Now, I'm not saying we ignore sin, Quite the opposite. In fact, the loving, compassionate thing to do is to confront a sinner with the gospel. Right? That's the loving, compassionate thing to do. It's not just to say, well, you're okay, I'm okay, whatever you decide, whatever you think, whatever I think, all right, this is all good. That's not love and compassion. I mean, if I I don't want a doctor to say, well, what, what do you think? Do you think you have cancer or not? Oh, I don't think I do. Oh, okay. Well, I'll respect your wishes. Does it work that way? No. No. Is, is, it going, is it going to hurt when he tells me the truth? Yes. But do I want the truth? Yes. Yes. I think in a similar way, that's our, that should be our view of the lost. We need to appreciate the condition they're in. They are in a desperate life or death situation. So let me encourage you with something here. Resist the temptation to view lost people as the enemy. Resist the temptation to view lost people as the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Our warfare, our conflict, is not with flesh and blood. Our conflict is not with any human. I know in our current climate that's hard to believe, right? But it's not. It's with principalities and powers. It's it's with those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Paul says in that text, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that our job then is to take those things captive and submit them to Christ. The people are not the problem. The ideology, the demonic theology, the, the, the sin condition they're in, that is the problem. We should view people, though, through, through the lens of the gospel. They are dead in their trespasses, and we've got the message that can give them life. But let, let's kind of illustrate this way. Think about the idea, the word of a lost person, right? That an unsaved person is, is lost. We've probably all seen this play out in one way or another. You're in a store, you're in the mall, you're in Walmart, wherever it may be. You see a little girl standing in the aisle, by herself, tears streaming down her face. 
you know immediately what the problem is, right? The problem is something's happened. She has gotten separated from mom and dad or ever was a caretaker or caregiver. She's, she, in the vast world and chaos that is Walmart, she is there now. She feels like she's all on her own. And you, you see her there. And what, what would most of us do, right? We'd be moved with compassion, right? We'd go up and perhaps we would offer can I help you try and find your mom and dad? Maybe we'd find a worker that, that could say something over the, you know, the speaker. Whatever the case may be, we, we'd be moved by compassion. We would immediately identify with what must be a scary situation for a little, little person to be separated from those that give safety, security, uh, and, and, and love in their lives. Can you imagine they're doing this? Little girl there, tears coming down her eyes, getting down like this. Honey, are you are you are you lost? Uh huh. Well, it serves you right. You shouldn't have wandered away. I hope you cry yourself sick. That'll teach you a lesson, sweetheart. All right. They just put out the chicken. I gotta go. All right. I mean, so that's not. That's not how we're going to react to the little girl, right? Boy, we, we can certainly cast lost people in that context, can't we? We can see them like that. And I understand because some of the stuff they say. And, and let me give you the hardest, the hardest place of all where this happens. Under your own roof. If, if some of you deal with this, I, my guess is that, that could be the hardest place to start. That you have those, either that you live with or in your family, that's a hard deal, right? Those that you either live with or they're, they're in your family and you see them and they're lost, maybe even antagonistic toward what you believe, maybe even they ridicule you for what you believe. That can be a real burden. Sometimes it's hardest to reach those who are closest to us, right? But even beyond that, even beyond then, those in our own home, our own family, you think of a workplace, think of neighbors. What about people on TV? What about those with whom you disagree, strongly disagree, right? It's your view toward them. You want to bring your blood pressure down when you watch this political stuff? Read Romans 3 every time you see them talk. Read, read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, every, every time they say something. Every time Chuck Schumer gets on screen, all right? Just read something else, okay? Go to the Bible, read what it looks like to be lost, okay? That's what you should do. I mean, I get it, I understand. These things, the, our culture has done such a, the political situation has done such a good job of pitting us, us against them, but do not forget this, church, that does not include us. We are of a different kingdom. We need to stop playing around with this one. Our goal is a gospel goal. Do, do, we, do we see people for the lost people they are? Okay? Now, I was going to camp on those two the longest. I've got just a few more I, w- I want to lay out for you. Just, just take a, a minute. It, I laugh when I say it out loud. All right, but I, it, won't, it, won't take, it won't take that long. All right, number three. So here's the third step. Kind of a no-brainer. Pray for them. Pray for them. 
Pray for unbelievers. I mean, you can pray in general, right? And I, and I would pray like in two directions, vertically, horizontally. What I mean by that, I mean, obviously all prayer is vertical, but I mean pray that God would convict them of their sin and then pray God might use you as a foot in the door. I, I would begin developing, if you haven't already, a prayer list. Take some time. Think about people around you. Again, it might start with people very close to you. It may expand then to other folks. Begin writing specific names down, lost people that you know, and begin praying. Pray specifically for them that, that God would convict them of the gospel and either use you or bring somebody else in their life to do so. You say, Pastor, I don't know any lost people. You may want to look harder, all right, for one. Okay, so you may want to look harder, first of all. And if that's, if that's really the case, then that's where you begin with your prayer. God, open up avenues. Give me eyes to see. Help me engage. Let me see my neighbors or coworkers or friends, anybody in the community, provide avenues for me that I might engage with lost people. Pray for unbelievers. Here's the thought. If there are other people in your neighborhood, other believers, they could be part of this church or not, but there are other believers, maybe get together every so often with other neighbors and pray for people in your neighborhood. Pray for them by name. So, enlarge your circle, and perhaps they know lost people. So then maybe you can know a lost person through the lost people they know. Expand kind of your, your list there. Understand who may, be, who may be a source of evangelism. And then again, you know, you can think even broader. These people that you see on TV, uh, you really want to practice praying with compassion and patience and endurance. You can turn on the view. All right, so whatever you want to do, you can do this to try and Figure out, all right, you know, late night comedy TV, turn that on, whatever, uh, and that, that'll, help, that'll help, that may try you. Okay, but use that as an opportunity then to, to pray, pray very specifically, all right? Number four, four and five are really connected. Prepare for evangelism. Prepare for it. In your own mind, and even you could write it out, if given the opportunity, how would you engage a lost person with the gospel? And what would you say to them? And if you're saying, well, pastor, I don't think I would know how to evangelize. I've got great news for you. Because tonight, and for the next several Sunday nights, I'm going to be teaching us how to share the gospel. That's a win, because I know you don't have anything else to do tonight. All right, so 6 o'clock, be right back here. Uh, and uh, we, 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 I introduced it last week. We'll be getting into some nuts and bolts of it tonight. For the next few weeks, how can we prepare ourselves to effectively share the gospel? This is what I'd begin thinking about. I I promise you this. The more you think about the gospel and sharing the gospel, and the more you think about it with specific individuals, I promise you there will be a definite uptick in your compassion for the lost. If you want to grow in your love for lost people, share the gospel with lost people. The more you share the gospel with lost people, I think the more your love will grow for them. That's what I think happens. And so that leads then to number five, and that is look for opportunities to share. Look for opportunities then to share the gospel. Knowing that they are all around you. Knowing that, in fact, this is absolutely God's will. We we fiddle around a lot with that question. Oh, what's God's will for my life? What's... What does he want me to do and here, here, and here? So, 
I know that those can be legit questions about specific things, but there are some things that you really don't need to pray about, meaning, is it God's will for you to have opportunities to share the gospel with lost people? Yes. Yes. It is. This, I mean, he gave more than one command about this. And so, you know, as we think about these opening words, and as next Sunday we'll be jumping back in then to, you know, what are some weighty matters. Keep in mind, all of this, though, should motivate the fundamental principle here. I mean, all that Paul is doing, why is Paul writing Romans? He's going to tell us in chapter 16. He's writing Romans because he wants to go to Rome and he wants to establish a missionary base of operations to Spain. That's why he's writing them a letter. He's never been there before, and he wants to make sure they understand the gospel. Go read the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Guess what happens? Paul goes to Rome. You know how long he's there? Two years. Two years. Now, that's where Acts ends, so we don't know what really comes of this. But, but if you think about that, this, Paul's, Paul's motivation here is missionary. It is evangelistic. Believe it or not, even when we talk about the doctrine of election, there's an evangelistic motivation. You may think, oh, preacher, how do those two things go together? How could they possibly go together? You're going to have to come back next Sunday, all right, to figure out how those come back together, because they do. Paul deals with it. Some of the clearest evangelistic texts are in Romans chapter 10, two verses that we use all the time in evangelism. Romans chapter 10, all right? So we're going to walk our way through this, and we're going to continue to see how I think this prepares us to fully understand so that we might more courageously declare the gospel. So so as we have a time of response, and we're going to sing again that great song, Facing the Task Unfinished. And I do do pray that will be your prayer back, back to the Lord. Perhaps there are those here, and hearing all of this, Your response, though, would be a concern that maybe you're not one of those believers in the first place. And and I'll be down front, and as others are singing, you just come on down, and I'd I'd love an opportunity to tell you more about what it means to trust Christ as Savior. I mean, I've I've described it. It it is a matter of confessing your sin and confessing Christ as, as, as Savior, the one who died and rose from the dead. And in Him and Him alone can you be saved, but you can be. You can be redeemed. You can be made friends of God the gospel. Maybe others, you'd hear this and think, you know, no, evangelism has really been a thing for me, and maybe there's somebody specific on your heart and mind, and you'd like to come pray for them now. You can do that. You can come here and pray. You can pray where you are. Use this as an opportunity, though, to respond back to the Lord from His Word in a way that says, Lord, yes, I want Your Word to be brought to bear on my life that I might be faithful to this task. Let's stand together, and I'll pray. And after I pray, this time will be open to you. Father God, we thank you again for gathering us, grateful for your word, uh, convicted by your word, recognizing what is the mandate that is given to us. Lord, may we be faithful to it. I pray, God, you would continue to work in our hearts, minds that that we would really know and believe the gospel and, and understand the condition that lost people are in. Give us that intercessory heart where we go on your behalf, go on behalf of others before you, They may believe the gospel, prepare us to share, give us opportunities to share. So, Father, we 
we simply submit ourselves now to You, Your Spirit, and how Your Word will be brought to bear in our lives that we might bring glory to You. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.